morning again. I'm Brandon Barrett, lead pastor here at Grace Covenant. And those of you who are visitors, let me welcome you too. We're glad that you're here. Uh, our text this morning, we're starting a new series and uh, slight misprint in the bulletin. Our text this morning is John 5, uh, verses 21 through 28. And you'll find that uh, on page 890 if you happen to be using one of your pew Bibles. And while you're turning there... Uh, a couple announcements I was made. To, uh, I was asked to make again. Uh, college students, you'll find out in the commons back there some brightly colored boxes. Those are care packages for you that were put together by the women's ministry here. So take those. Uh, somewhere in that box, you should find your check for the first semester tuition. Um, if it's not there, make sure you call Camper. I'm sure he can straighten that out. <laughs> Uh, and then also, again, good to see you this morning. We did start again for the fall our 8 o'clock service, so if you uh, wake up absurdly early and want to come to the 8 o'clock service, know that that's, uh, that started again as well. Okay, let's, uh, let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump in. We'll take a look at John chapter 5. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. And we pray right now that you would open our hearts and our minds that we might hear you. Open your word to us, to the end that you might continue to make us more and more into worshipers of you, those who worship in spirit and truth and know you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Matthew, or excuse me, John chapter 5, verses 21 through 29. This is Jesus speaking. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, So also the Son gives life to whom He will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears My word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but He has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to execute judgment, because He is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of life. Of judgment. Uh, this morning we begin a new series for uh, the fall, and it's on worship. The title of our series, you'll, you'll see in your bulletin, is, is called Vital Worship. If you were to look in a dictionary, as I did, a definition of the word vital, you'll see there's, there, there's two main meanings of that. One, something that is vital is something that's absolutely essential, it's crucial. And also, something that is vital is something that is full of life and gives life. Okay, and we mean both of those senses of vital worship, that we would grow as a, as a people who uh, understand the absolute centrality and importance of worship in our lives as those who follow Jesus, and that we would also understand and grow in, grow in our grasp of the vitality of worship as God meets us in that very act, and it is a life-giving thing for us. So vital worship, that's what we're going to be talking about this semester. Um, 
Now, this morning, what I'm going to try to do is, is give some, some general thoughts about worship, and then we're going to look at a couple specific things in John 5, which we've just read. So, so let me say a, a few things about worship. One is uh, that there are both, there, worship can be used in more than one way and is in Scripture. When we talk about what is worship and, and where does that happen, Scripture talks about worship in both broad and narrow contexts. Okay? In the broadest sense, for a Christian, worship is, involves all of life. Everything that you do is all encompassed under this heading of, of living before God in worship. So that means what we're doing here this morning, but it also means what you're doing in your classes, eating breakfast, interacting with your family. All of life for the Christian comes under this rubric of worship. We see that from Paul in Romans 12, verse 1. Listen to what he says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Okay, what's he saying? Everything we do with our bodies, everything about our lives is pointed towards our God and we relate to him in worship. So we rightly say that all of life can be worship and all of life gives glory to God. Uh, all of life to be lived before him in grateful and intimate relationship. Uh, and that means that in this broadest sense, you know, worship is not confined to a particular activity or a particular time of week or a particular time of day. Now, we also, and Scripture also speaks more narrowly of worship, too. It talks about the broad category, all of life, but it also talks about worship in the context of uh, a more specific and more focused context. Those times when maybe you, you would most commonly think of worship, when we are doing things that are overtly we know to be acts of worship. When, as we are this morning, when we, when we sing God's praises, when we pray. When we read scripture, when you hear a sermon preached, all these are uh, parts of, of the narrow sense, the focused sense of worship. Okay, now that can happen to make it slightly more complicated. So we've got broad and narrow. And those can also happen in both corporate and individual contexts. Okay, so uh, let's say during the course of the week, you set aside some time during the day when you uh, read scripture, you read the Bible, and you think about it, and you try to figure out what it means and how it applies to your life, and you pray. You ask God to be at work, and you ask him to teach you, teach you from his word. That is, a, that is a, a narrow meaning of worship. You're doing those sort of worship kind of activities, and you're doing them on your own, as is appropriate, individual worship. But then that narrow sense also plays out corporately, which is what we call what we're doing this morning, corporate worship, that we come together as the body of Christ, and those who come to see what we're all about, we come to worship our God together, corporately. Okay, to review. Broad and narrow, all of life, and the specific actions of worship and activities of worship. And we do that both individually and corporately. Now, for us, growing as people of, in worship, the way we're going to go about that this semester is we're going to take a look at some of the activities or elements of worship that we do together as a congregation when we meet on Sunday mornings. So if you want to know what we're going to be preaching through this week or this, uh, this semester, just, just look at your order of worship. Uh, we're beginning today with the call to worship, and we're going to talk about confession and God's assurance of pardon. We're going to talk about singing. We're going to talk about praying. We're going to talk about preaching and what it means uh, to actually hear and participate in a sermon. And we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper, all the things that happen in a worship service. We're going to talk about those things over the course uh, of this semester. Now, let me ask you this about worship. Here we are in the narrow sense of worship, corporately experienced. Okay, use our little grid. Uh, what's it like to come in on a, on a Sunday morning to worship? 
Uh, you know, sometimes it's great. But, but you know what it's like sometimes when you're coming to church? Uh, and Sunday morning can actually be the most stressful time of your entire week, right? I'm coming to worship. Uh, if only my children would cooperate, you know. Uh, if only my spouse would hurry up and get, when, you know, uh, you drive up into the parking lot and the remnants of your real life are being discussed and hashed out. And then as soon as the doors close and smiles come on, we straighten up and we, we walk into church. But you know what it's like to come sit in this room sometimes. All the craziness of life, always right there with us. Uh, and a lot of uh, just the struggle of our lives right there with us as well. And you, then we come in here and, and you ever wonder, what, why are we doing this? And what exactly are we doing? We, this is the only context in America when we all stand up together, a room full of people, look at a screen and sing songs together. I don't do that anywhere else in my life. And we close our eyes and say words and don't see the person we're speaking to. And, you know, we do lots of things here in worship. And you ever have those thoughts of what exactly am I doing here? And how do I know if I've worshipped? Like we say we're coming to a worship service. How do I know if I did what I was supposed to do, right? Uh, was I supposed to feel something in particular? Some of us feel like, you know, if we've achieved some sort of emotional state, then, we, then, we, then we've worshipped. Or was there something that I was supposed to have done? I was supposed to have said the right words. And if I've done that, then I've, then I've worshipped. Uh, or, you know, if, if I came and I learned some intellectual nugget, then I've worshipped. Okay, if you're a visitor here and you're new to this, that's where Presbyterians fall. Okay? We think that once you've learned something, you've worshipped. You know, is it, is, it, is it the same thing or is it not? What are, we, what are we doing? Well, that's why we're talking about that this semester and looking at the different parts of why we worship. And let me give this as hopefully a helpful metaphor that will help us think through what we're doing these next number of weeks. Uh, I was reading a book recently where I um, found this very helpful metaphor. And the author speaks of gestures and postures, okay? Uh, and he shared a story much like one I can share of my own and maybe many of you growing up when... Your mother would say, stand up straight. Quit slouching in your chair. You need to have good posture. Stand up straight. I heard that many times growing up. And, and what is it that our, our mothers knew? Well, it may, may well be that they know that when you slouch and when you won't make eye contact with the people you're talking to, these, these are gestures of our body. And gestures, when they're repeated again and again and again, quickly become postures by which we interact with the whole world. So, you know, that little bit of shrug soon becomes a lifetime of shrugging and, and slouching. And I think that picture of gestures and postures might be helpful for us as we think about worship these next number of weeks. Another way to look at the topic of each week and the element of worship that we're going to look at each week is these are gestures of worship. They are things that we do in worship. And hopefully as we develop good and right gestures, that will develop more and more into a life posture of worship. Okay, now we've said that worship happens in all these contexts, individually and corporately, narrow sense, broad sense. And those contexts inform each other. I mean, maybe you've had this experience. You, you are having a uh, you know, stereotypical really hard week, and, and maybe you take some time aside to read Scripture, and you read something that is incredibly encouraging to you. You feel like God is right there on the page talking to you. And you pray, and you ask that the Lord would bring comfort to you, would bring direction. And you get some real sense of that. And you walk back into your day with this renewed sense of, here's what it means to live a life of worship. It's this renewed strength, this renewed perspective. 
Or maybe you come on a Sunday morning and you've had a, a week filled with that and that energizes your worship here corporately like nothing you'd ever experienced before. Or maybe you're having a, a week that's just shot all the way around and you come here on a Sunday morning. Maybe you're singing a song and as you're singing, you hear again something that is vitally true that you need to be remembered and God begins to minister to you even there. And that sends you back into a week of a new and renewed thirst to spend time with God, to pray, to see worship play out in all parts of life. See, all those strands of worship in our lives fit together and in, inform each other. And so in all of that, we're looking at what would these gestures of worship do to help us develop more and more a posture of a life that is uh, informed by and colored by and made beautiful by a real heart for worship. So that's what we're going to be that's what we're going to be talking about. <clears throat> now, to come specifically to John, just to make a couple points this morning, uh, we're going to look at the first, er, first element of worship this morning. And this is going to come as a, as a surprise to you if you've been coming to church here for a while. You're going to think you missed a sermon last week. There's not a sermon on announcements. Okay, I, I know you think that that is the gun going off for worship. It's really not. Uh, <clears throat> our worship and the first element of worship we're going to talk about is the call to worship. If you were to look at your order of worship, you'd see this morning's call to worship from Psalm 95. And we're, we're going to see this about call of worship. Uh, and here's kind of the, the point for, for this particular topic this morning. Uh, that in worship, as in all of life for a Christian, God makes the first move. God takes the first step. God speaks the first word. It begins with him, And we're going to see that in John 5 in, in three ways. One, you know, to continue that idea that he does speak first. And two, that that voice of God that speaks first, that call that comes forth, also is a call that brings life. And then thirdly, we're just going to see that God's call, this call of life, leads us to worship. Okay, so God speaks first, his call brings life, and his call leads us to worship. So first, God's voice speaks first. Uh, look at who... Uh, is the recipient of the words in John chapter 5. Who is Jesus addressing or what characterizes him? Look at this. You'll, we'll see this in verse uh, 25, 20, 21, 25, 28. Look who he's addressing. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to those uh, whom he will. Verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. In verse 28, speaking of Jesus' return, Do not marvel at this, an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Who's getting addressed? Dead people. And in this passage, you've got, you got three actors here. You've got God the Father and God the Son in a world filled with dead people. That's the way Scripture presents it to us. If you remember the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 2, God gives them this incredible uh, garden of Eden with all they could possibly need and his very presence. And he says, there's just one thing you can't do. You cannot go eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Anything else, it's all fair game. And they, of course, uh, go on to eat it. But his warning to them was this, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, when they do, they don't experience physical death on that day, although the process begins by which they eventually will. But they do immediately experience spiritual death, alienation from their God and Creator, brokenness. Spiritual death begins there in the garden and is the legacy that our first parents pass on to all of us, that we are a people who are dead. Uh, Paul picks up this image, Ephesians 2, 5. He describes us 
all as people outside of Christ, dead in our sins. Dead in our sins. Now, you've heard the phrase, the dead men tell no tales. Uh, Well, dead men also give no worship. Dead men give no worship. And what we see here in this passage is God speaking. That God has the the, the first word. That God speaks where we cannot. God speaks where dead people do not and cannot. And we see that that voice has a particular character to it and comes through a particular one. It comes through uh, the voice and the person of his son, Jesus. It couldn't be more plain in verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, Jesus himself, speaking these words of life. Now, a couple implications of this, if we're dead people and God speaks first. If we come into worship on a Sunday morning or any of our contexts of worship or come into a life of worship and we get this wrong, if we think we're the ones who speak first in worship, we're starting in the wrong spot. And sometimes that happens when we fool ourselves. We get up on a Sunday morning, for example, and we look in the mirror, make sure that hair is in place, uh, make sure that we're wearing our nicest clothes. I mean, this is the only day of the week I wear a suit, okay? Uh, we dress up, right, many of us. You know, let, let's make sure that we look good. What are we going to bring to God in worship today? As you step out of the car with your family and make sure everybody smiles and puts aside the arguments you just experienced, what are we, what are we saying? I'm coming to worship today. What have I got to bring to my God? What can my first word be? Now, it's easy to think that when we bring our the first word, that somehow something other than the voice of Jesus initiates worship in our lives. Um, And we need to be reminded, as Jesus reminds us here, that it's not our sincerity that paves our way to God. It's not our devotion. It's not our attempts to create any sort of religious system by which we might sincerely bring ourselves to God and approach Him. Very clear here that worship begins only through hearing the voice of Jesus. That is where life begins. So we are dead people, and God's voice speaks first. But it does something to us. Second point, God's call brings life with it. Okay, and we've already seen that. Look at verse 25 again. Uh, The hour is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. And those who hear will live. Earlier in the passage, he said, you know, the Father speaks life, and so the Son speaks life, that life comes through the voice of Jesus. Now, it goes on, as you notice here, and it speaks of Jesus' role as a judge, as the one who ultimately one day brings judgment, and this word of life comes to those deserving judgment and rescues them from the judgment to come. It speaks of hearing his voice. Verse 24 combines that with believing, hearing and believing his voice. And simply what he's trying to say there is there's hearing something, and then there's hearing something, right? Yes, Mom, I heard you. Yes, Mom, I'm moving off the sofa to go do what you asked me to do. You know, we can hear something, but then we can really hear something. When it comes in, when the words don't simply go through our ears, but when they penetrate, and in the words of the gospel, when they come and bring life, that we are people, when we hear the voice of the Son of God, we're people who then believe, because that voice brings the belief that it calls for. So it is the only thing 
that brings us life. Okay, so God's word comes to us as dead people, and it makes the first move. It is the first voice heard. And that voice comes and does something. It comes to bring us to life. And then it leads us, third point, to worship. Uh, We see this mentioned in verse 23. He speaks of bringing honor to the Father. And he says something so radically exclusive as to say this, no one honors the Father without honoring the Son, that all worship comes right through Jesus. And one part of worship is the bringing of honor to our Father and to our Savior, Jesus, who comes to us by His Spirit. He speaks here of this call that comes to dead people and brings them to life, and the response is bringing honor to Him. One way of saying stepping into a life of worship of Him. That's what God's Word does to us when it brings us to life. leads us into a life of worship, again, by our grid, corporate and individual, and also narrow and broad senses of worship, a life of worship. Now, if we go back to Genesis, what happens after the fall, um, interesting picture of what happens when Adam and Eve, after they take that fruit, hear the voice of God. This comes from Genesis chapter 3. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I was naked and I hid myself. What happens when God's word, God's presence comes to dead people without hearing his voice? Nothing but fear. Adam and Eve fleeing from his voice, fleeing from his presence. But what happens to people who have heard the voice of Jesus? What happens to dead people who have been made spiritually alive again? Not running, not fear, but worship. The giving of honor. Hearing the voice of our God and no longer having to flee. But instead being called close and being brought in and being welcomed by the very God of the universe. This word coming to us making the first move and bringing us in. When we hear God's voice speaking to us and bringing us to life, we don't have to run and we don't have to hide. This is just another way of putting the gospel, the good news that the death and and resurrection of Jesus bring real reconciliation and healing and peace between us and our God. It brings us into His family, It's a voice that calls us home. That the God that we feared as judge now becomes the God that we look to in love and respect as Father. And that means for us now that we can respond in worship. And it means for us, and it means for you, that you can know that God is favorably inclined to you. That He is at peace. That there is no more judgment, is no more wrath. It has been taken by His Son, Jesus, for you. You can know that you now have the love and the acceptance and the warmth of the Father. And so you can come and respond and worship, not to earn anything, not to measure up, not to look good, not to be polished, not to do your religious duty, but to enjoy God to live in His presence, to give Him worship and honor from a grateful and renewed heart. It is a whole new relationship set on a whole new footing. So let me just say this briefly in conclusion. As we think about this, that God calls us to worship and as this serves as 
an introduction for us as we look at worship for these next number of weeks. These acts of worship that we do are a gift to us. And the first of these, this first gesture of worship, is one of listening. When so often our first gesture in worship is to speak, we're reminded that it is God who speaks first. It is God's voice who is heard, that is heard first. It is His voice that comes and brings the dead to life. Now, how would that change worship for you? How would that change much about your week this week to remember that it is God who speaks first in your life? It is God who is at work in and around you. When things were falling apart, God was there before you were. When your heart is hard, God knows that before you even begin to speak. When you sit down in the course of the week and try to be quiet, and even individually worship, just try and, God, where are you? To remember again, to listen. And it is God who speaks the first word, and it is the word of the gospel for you. Jesus Christ, dead and raised again to new life, that we his people might know life in him. He has spoken the first word to us. And let me just give you a real practical point of application, uh, if this might fit for you, for your practice over these next number of weeks. Take your order of worship, stick it in your Bible, and look at it over the course of the week. I don't know what to do in my quiet times. I don't know what to do when I pray. Well, tomorrow, the next day you get up, read again the call to worship, Psalm 95. Go back to your Bible, read the whole thing. Let that be your starting point of prayer. Sometime this week, read again uh, the confession of sin and hear again the assurance of pardon and pray. Look back at the text from the sermon the Sunday before. Read through it again. How does this apply, Lord? How does this apply? Even that little piece of paper maybe would be an encouragement to us in the gestures of worship this semester as we together become a people who more and more are seeking a posture of worship, one that gives God honor and that brings real joy to us because worship is a gift to us. And it's the fruit of a relationship made right with our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that worship is indeed a gift. You call us to it. You've made us for it. And you've graciously, you graciously use it to form us and, and bring us real joy. Because it is an honor to be made right with our God, to be brought into the family, to be able to now, thanks to Jesus, be able to call you Father with no fear, with no threat of punishment, with no threat of harm, because you, our Heavenly Father, are a good Father. So these next number of weeks, would you continue your work in us of helping us to grow as worshipers of you? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.